Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Rick Burgess here from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport, and I thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, if you're someone who's here with us most every Wednesday, uh, you know the drill, but you might be joining us for the very first time. Whatever the case may be, we welcome you. And um, we are going through the book of First Peter, and we're going to find ourselves in chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, if you're listening, um, you know, take time to go back and uh, go over the verses that we're talking about. Write those verses down. Uh, it'll serve you well. Uh, if you're in a position where you can't take any notes right now while you're listening, we understand, or watching on the YouTube channel. But take time to go back, write these things down. If you're, you want to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, you know, you, you got to treat this like anything else that, uh, that you're trying to learn and apply. And I'm speaking from my own experience. Let me do a little bit of uh, housework for you uh, before we move on. Themanchurch.com. You know, this started out as a men's Bible study. I know that it is co-ed now, but still, uh, it started at a, as a men's Bible study, and sometimes there will be things featured that are mainly for men. Uh, today's uh, lesson is for co-ed, men or women, uh, anyone. So, uh, But I do want to tell you this. As far as the men's ministry, themanchurch.com, you know that we launched that back in March. Uh, then COVID hit, and, and now that we're starting to see more and more gatherings of men, even though we're spacing and, and limiting the numbers, a lot of churches are now starting uh, our men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. We can help you too, but make a note, here's some man churches that you can go and visit. Our strategy features gatherings of men, uh, you know, periodically throughout the year, and then in between those gatherings, people plug into what we're doing like now, small groups, uh, discipleship classes. We provide a 40-week curriculum. Uh, of me teaching 12 to 15 minutes in each session. And then uh, we have men who facilitate those groups with our study guides. So those are going on all over the country. We're excited about that. And you can attend some of those in person or watch some of them on a live stream. My home church, uh, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, I'll be speaking at that man church coming up on uh, October 25th. Uh, you are welcome to join us. As a matter of fact, we'll finish First Peter before that man church, and then after that man church, we'll start Second Peter, 6 o'clock Central Time in the great state of Alabama. If you're in and around Shades Mountain Baptist Church and you want to join us, it'll be in the main worship center. But if you would like to watch the live stream of that on October the 25th, go to shades.org, uh, and you can do that as well. There will be a live stream av available of man church on October the 25th. November the 2nd, First Baptist Church, Troy, Alabama. I'll be starting their men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com with a man church. You're welcome to join us for that if that's closer to your part of the world. And on November the 8th, uh, I'll be in Columbus, Mississippi at First Baptist Church doing the same thing. It'll be a man church, and then they'll be rolling into the small groups doing the pursuit curriculum from themanchurch.com. Coming up in 2021, we'll have a brand new 40-week curriculum for those of you that may be getting toward the end of the first one or wherever you are on that, just know that there'll be another one uh, that will be put together for 2021. And over time, you'll be able to pick, uh, you know, whichever curriculum best serves the, the time that you're going through with your men's ministry. The Pursuit Men's Conference, that's where we'll launch our brand new curriculum. We'll be in Dothan, Alabama at the Dothan Civic Center. Uh, that'll be coming up on February the 19th and the 20th. I'll be joined by Steve Farrar, Rich Wingo, Brody Kroll, Michael Adler, our very own uh, Chris Adler, uh, will also be there with the praise team, and we're looking forward to being with all the men who will make plans to attend that coming up in 2021 in the month of February. If you'd like to keep up with things that are going on, dates and different events and gatherings, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on events, 
as we get them solidified. We'll put those up there for you, and you can find those. You can also find past Bible studies by clicking on Listen at BurgessMinistries.com or by going to this YouTube channel, look up here at Playlist, and you can see some of the past studies we've done here as well. So let's pray, and let's jump into chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to join together and to worship you and to be refined by you and help us, Lord, to learn once again this, this topic that really seems to perplex us in a fallen world, and that's the topic of, of suffering. Uh, we'll talk about that again today as Peter lays this out clearly under your spirit. Uh, may we hear everything we're supposed to, and may those that may not be redeemed, may, maybe today's the day something happens in this Bible study that, that uh, you use to draw them to you. In your holy name we pray, amen. So uh, I said chapter 4, 1 Peter. Uh, these first two verses, uh, my wife's name is Sherry Burgess, and uh, she um, uh, wrote a book uh, called Bronner about our son, our youngest son, A Journey to Understand. And, and in this book, she uh, dove into Scripture and, and spent time in prayer over five years. She wrote this book. It came out uh, in, 20, um, I think, 2019 is when it came out. Uh, and uh, it's available in audio or wherever books are sold. But uh, if you've ever seen my wife speak somewhere or she's taught somewhere or you had a copy of the book and you wanted her to sign it, uh, you will look in that book and you will see that she will sign her name and then she will put 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. That's the verse she's going to write in your book. And there's a reason for that because this is one of the places in the Bible during her time of anguish when we were pursuing to understand uh, who God is in our time of great suffering, uh, Peter uh, gave her a word that helped her to understand and to grasp one of the main reasons suffering is going on and is allowed by God. And we have a picture we'll show you for those of you that are watching on YouTube. If you'll see this as, as Adler backs out, it's even almost faded now. This is on the, uh, the refrigerator, for those of you who are just listening, uh, in our little, camp, our little farmhouse that we have at a little farm about 30 minutes south of, uh, of Birmingham. It's a little tiny house, uh, and, and after our youngest son went to heaven, our whole family went and lived in this little house for three months uh, during the early days of us uh, you know, starting our recovery and, and our refinement. And Sherry took this, uh, these first two verses in this chapter we're about to study, and she posted those right there on the refrigerator so she would read it over and over again. She also had it posted up there during her time of writing the book when uh, she would spend days on end uh, down at that little farmhouse, you know, seeking God, hearing from God, praying, mourning, and being refined as she wrote that book. So uh, this is a very special Bible study today, and, and it means an awful lot to us, and I think it will to you as well. So I just want to show you that image. Um, that's the first thing I thought of when I, when I saw that we, this is where we are in the study. So let's read those verses. Uh, verses 1 and 2 in 1 Peter, the very verses that Sherry has, has posted there in our home. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has, and underline this if you have your Bible out, has ceased from sin, verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I mean, we could stop right there, and we could spend our entire time together just unpacking that. 
And you see now why this verse is so prominent uh, to any of us that face anguish and suffering on this earth. And here is God telling Peter to tell us and, and these persecuted Christians at the time, understand that Christ suffered in the flesh when, when, when he was 100% man and 100% God. So as followers of Christ, you should arm yourself with the same way of thinking because suffering uh, in the flesh will, will remove sin from your flesh and then you'll live the rest of your time in the flesh if you don't miss what God's teaching in his refinement no longer for the human passions. But you find yourself wanting to live for the will of God, not for yourself. So the first thing you got to take away from this, Peter is saying, suffering is expected. You know, Jesus told Peter this, this very same thing. I mean, when he tells Peter, and they get resolved that, you know, now you're going to get ready to follow me, and he tells Peter, you're going to suffer. He tells the Apostle Paul, go tell him all the things he must suffer for me. So suffering is a, is a given, and the way we should think about it is the same way that Jesus told us to think about, think about it, and suffering causes us to ultimately, if we will pay attention and if we will embrace it, I love what my wife said, you, you, you have a choice uh, when you suffer. You can either, either be mad at God, be angry, and you can run from him, or you can, during that time of suffering, you can run to him, and then you can lean in to the refinement and let God transform you through it. This is what Peter's talking about in these first two verses. It reminds me an awful lot of Paul in, uh, in Romans chapter 6. So if you, you have your Bible or something, your Bible on it, jump over here to Romans chapter 6. Uh, you know, when, when we did our, our study of Romans, and if you ever want to see that, you can go to playlist here on the YouTube channel if you're watching that and go to our study of Romans, or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on listen, and then scroll through to our study on Romans. But if you remember that, if you've, you've been here for several years, you remember that Paul said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is that grace abuse, sadly, that's prominent in the Western church today. And Paul is clearly saying that's forbidden. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? Now to Peter, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Here's Paul saying we're baptized um, as Christ, but we were baptized into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. To nothing. To nothing. Listen to what Peter says. Since therefore Christ suffered in, the, suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Back to Paul again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Crucified, that's suffering. Just as Christ suffered to, to present himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin, his suffering now makes us fully righteous. His death paid for our sin. His life gives us eternal life. We now have access to that resurrection 
Look, look what's next. So next, so that we no longer be enslaved to sin, verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Jump down to verse 11 in Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now over here to, to, to Peter, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the, in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, just like Paul says in 6, so as to live, this is Peter now in 1 Peter 4, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You think this is an important concept in the Bible? Yeah. So why do we act like it's not there? Suffering, if we understand it, will cleanse us from sin and, and focus us less on ourselves and less on our flesh and more on the will of God. Carnal, worldly, black, backslidden, whatever word you want to use, cultural, cultural Christians. Uh, you know, a lot of times if, if you're a carnal Christian, you're a worldly Christian, you're backslidden, you're a cultural Christian, a lot of times you don't see that these people hardly ever suffer. Now, Peter once tried to avoid it. He now embraces it. Can't get through this world unscathed. But we can get through it victoriously. We, we, how about this? We, have, we must stop giving in to the flesh and we must stop giving in to fear. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, if, these, these, are, these are devout followers of Jesus. They're being persecuted by Nero. They're out there in the suffering. He says, this suffering is to refine you, to make you more dependent on God, and, 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 and less in love with your flesh. So we have a lot of Christians out there who say, I want some form of Christianity that doesn't include suffering. I have terrible news for you. I just gave you the list of, of those. These are people that, are, that, that claim to be with Christ, but they're still living for their flesh, whether they're carnal, they're worldly, they're backslidden, they're a cultural Christian. And what they're trying to do is to take this part of Christianity and remove it. I want Jesus and my sin. And, and I got news for you. I just talked to someone who's got a loved one that's basically trying to live that kind of Christianity, and it just doesn't exist. That's not Christianity at all. So let's jump in, in now in, in chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. Uh, but know that those first two verses are prominent in our home, prominent in our life, and, and, and we learned much through Peter's explanation here when people walk around all the time acting like these things have not been explained by God in the Scripture. So now let's talk about suffering explained even more. Why does this happen? Here's Peter. He'll go on now in verses 3 through 6. Now, verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So why, why is another reason that we suffer? Man's depravity. You know, this is that thing that, the, that, that makes me laugh. Why do these bad things happen to good people? You've heard me talk about that a lot. Where, where are these good people? This isn't one. I'm pointing to myself. I'm not one. I'm not shocked by the, 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 the tough things I've had to endure. 
I'm shocked by the grace I've been given. That, that's the thing that I can't wrap my mind around. How can a holy God tolerate me? And you know what? He couldn't. That's why he had to take on human flesh and go to the cross and pay the debt that I owed. I crucified Jesus because I'm a wretched human being. And now his spirit has come into my spirit, which was once dead because of the original sin, and now has been made alive, and now he's sanctifying me, and he's growing my spirit, and he's trying to destroy my flesh so I'll be more like him. And he's doing it. I don't have a new code of conduct or new self-control. Now I have a new devotion. I have a new love for him, yes. And, and, and the love for him is making the love for all these things that Paul just mentioned. You know, there was a time uh, and when he says Gentiles here too, he's talking about pagans. He's talking about people who are lost. He's not talking about redeemed Gentiles. He said there was a time that, you know, you wanted, you just like the Gentiles, the pagans, all of you just want to do whatever you want to do. And you love sensuality. You love passions. You love drunkenness. You loved orgies. You love drinking parties. You love lawless idolatry. And you know what? If you were honest, I know I'm honest. You know what? I look at that list. Yeah. There's a lot of those things that, uh, that I like too. I thought they were fantastic because I didn't really know Jesus. But once I was refined and I understood the intimacy of how wonderful Jesus really is, then I felt silly forever thinking that those things were more desirable. And that's exactly what he's talking about. So we suffer for one thing because of our depravity. He said, this is, how, this, is, this is how you once were. Now this suffering is going to make you want to uh, have a passion for the will of God for, for the, the time that is past suffices. He said, you had your time. That, you know, I use this term a lot. That's old Rick. Okay, you, 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 did, you had those things. That, that, the time has passed for that. This is not the time. Boy, we can say that more than ever. It's not the time for drunkenness. It's not the time for drinking parties. It's not the time for you to fulfill every desire of your nasty flesh. It's not the time for that. That time's passed. It's time now for us to start being refined and be ready for the coming of the Lord or our earthly death, whichever one comes first. And this is what Peter is trying to say. Get your mind around that the end is coming. The next thing he says about suffering explained in verse 4, look at this. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery as they malign you. Another suffering uh, sufferings explained is, is man, man's distortions. They don't get it. Those, those are there, some of the suffering that you're receiving is because people who are lost, they're going to act like lost people. They malign you. They, they run you down. They persecute you. They can't believe you're not going to the party. They can't believe you're not piling up in the orgy. They can't believe you're not pursuing some smut on, on, on television. They can't believe you're not listening to smut in your earbuds. They, they, why, are you, why are you not hey, why are you not coming along with us? And so they persecute you and they exclude you. And look, I'm not making light of that. I understand that, you know, you may not have buried a son, but I may not have been what you've been through. And you know what I've noticed, because I've seen it sometimes with my children, and I remember, you know, times it's happened to me in my life, sometimes not for good reasons, uh, sometimes because I was a person you wouldn't want around. But let's just be honest, it does hurt sometimes when people exclude you, when people don't want you around because of your devotion for Jesus. 
And so sometimes there'll be some loneliness and there'll be some suffering because of your devotion to Jesus. But as long as you understand that that's where it's coming from, the time with Jesus is worth not being with them. But they won't understand it. And, and, and have grace in your heart. Have forgiveness in your heart for the people who are lost because lost people are to act like lost people. What really makes Jesus sick is when people who are lost pretend they're not. And we've talked about that quite a bit. So one of the reasons that we suffer is because of our own depravity. Another reason we suffer is of, of, of man's distortion, not understanding why we won't go along with the things that we once did and they continue to do. Uh, verses 5 through 6, let's look at this. Another thing, uh, 5 through 6, here's what Peter says. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now let me explain this a little bit. Uh, another reason why suffering is coming is that we're doomed. I mean, I got news for you. This, this earth is going away. Uh, we're all, uh, death right now, as far as uh, fleshly death, I'm talking about eternal death. Praise God, eternal death has been defeated. But our, uh, our body, if we live long enough to where it dies, it's undefeated. Something We're going to die of something. Uh, and, and then when Jesus comes back, if, if that happens while you're still alive, then you know God's wrath is about to be poured out uh, for those that were not that were not taken to Jesus when the church was. If you're not part of the church and you haven't been taken out, then you're going to be facing what's coming. So you know what Peter is reminding: when you look at them and they keep saying, "Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with us?" and they're maligning you, remember you don't live that way anymore. And when you look and think, "Well, that looks a little bit intriguing. Where's my fun?" Understand that God's judgment is coming, and he will not let this go. So it, it, it may look good to be over there for a moment, but trust me, in the long run, that ain't the place to be because God's judgment is coming. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, this is not the same when he's talking about the dead. Don't go back up to chapter 3, verse 19, that very controversial and much discussed verses that we talked about last week. This isn't about that. What, he, what Peter's talking about here is he's saying that there, there, there are people that were in their group, in their church, that had already been martyred, they had already been dead, and they had already heard the message. Uh, the, those who killed them simply promoted them to glory. He said, understand, even, even those that aren't with us anymore, you know, God has already forgiven them because they heard the message of the gospel. They responded to it. And the jokes on those who martyred them, because when those who have been redeemed, when somebody kills us, they just promote us to glory. And he's reminding them of that. We're not going to die the way and be judged the way those in the flesh judged us. We're going to die and be judged the way God does. And he's going to take our spirit that he's redeemed, and we're going to be with him. So this is Peter just, just reminding him that those of us that are living that have heard the message and those of us who have been martyred that heard the message, we are in, we are, we're in equal standing. We're going to live forever. So yeah, we may, we may suffer. We've seen some of our friends even get martyred. But this suffering is not the end of the story. All they're doing is promoting us. Like Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
D.L. Moody, the great uh, preacher, had, had a great statement. Listen to this. D.L. Moody said this. Man, make this. This is a great epitaph. Just, hey, apply this to your life. Tell the people who love you this. Listen to this. If you've been redeemed. D.L. Moody says, one of these days you're going to read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. Somebody say amen to that. Hey, one day you may hear if the Lord doesn't return, Rick Burgess is dead. Don't you believe that? Whenever you read that, if I'm here and I die an earthly death that Jesus doesn't return in my lifetime, and one day you read that Rick Burgess is dead, don't you believe that? That's a lie. I'll be more alive than I ever was. Amen to that. So then let's look at verse 7 through 11. Suffering exploited. Uh, These are some things that suffering will will cause. Uh, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, Peter is talking about that. Remember, he, he, he knows that he, and you'll see this in Second Peter especially, Peter knows that his life is almost over. The Lord has, has revealed to him that he, he's going to be martyred by Nero. He didn't know the time, but he knows it's coming. And he says, so the end of all things is at hand. Any of us may die during this time. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So one thing he says is, understand we're under persecution Understand, hey, bad things are happening. Hey, suffering is happening everywhere we look. So let me tell you what you better be. You better be sober-minded, and you better be self-controlled, and you better have a prayer life that is healthy. Anybody everybody feel that way right now in America and in the world? How's your prayer life right now? I hope it's healthy. And, and that's what Peter is saying. You be vigilant prayer warriors, for the end is near. Likely, more due to the persecution of Nero, than the second coming of Jesus. Uh, so understand, Peter is talking about a death that was at their door that was very, very real. I mean, some people say he may have been talking about the second coming of Jesus. Not likely. What he's really talking about is, guys, they're killing us. So you and I could be killed any day. The end is near. So be sober-minded and be self-controlled. Get your act together. Be thinking clearly, and you be vigilant in your prayers. Because the end is close. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in this country. I'm, I have not been given a prophetic word, nor have I been given a dream. But I can read this book, and I can, and I can look out here, and I can see what's going on in society, and I can deduce some things that are likely to happen based on what I already see. Now, I know that this world is going to get worse as we get to the end of things, Jesus' return. And I don't know when that's going to happen. And no one else does either except God himself. Okay? However, I watch the country in which I now live, and it's becoming more and more unrecognizable to me at 56 years of age. Uh, My parents find it to be even more unrecognizable than I do. But I will tell you this, by all appearances, this election coming up is not going to go smooth. Now, what's going to happen? Who's going to win? Only God knows that, and whoever wins, he will place there, either for punishment, for blessing, or something in between. We've already studied that. Everybody who goes into earthly power, God has to allow it. But don't forget this. Don't be afraid of them, because he also has to allow them to breed. They, they can't take their next breath without him allowing it. They are under his control. 
But I do know this, it looks like no matter which way this goes, that whichever side doesn't win is not going to be thrilled. Now, we already see violence in the cities. We already see burning. We see killing. We see fighting. We see chaos. We see, uh, we see anarchy. We, we see it now, and the election's not even here yet. So however that election goes, we could be heading into times that are maybe more dangerous than they've been in your lifetime so far. I, I don't know. I know the church in America is, is being persecuted to a higher degree than it ever has, but it's nothing like what Peter was talking about. So it may not be the persecution of the church, but I can tell you this with very little reservation. I think on November the 4th, we're going to be living in a very dangerous place. Uh, what does that mean to you and where you're watching or listening to this? I don't know. What it means to me, I don't know. I just know that uh, the likelihood that our country is going to turn into total chaos is pretty high. And I don't need a prophetic dream to, to know that because I'm always told to be aware of the signs of the times and don't walk as the unwise but as the wise and realize the times you're living in and the days are evil. The Bible says that, but I can see that as, as clear as, the, as, clear as uh, the nose right here on my face. So should I be prepared to die on any day? Yes. Should I be vigilant in my prayers? Yes. But there's just something about suffering and uncertainty that really gets us in the right prayer mode, doesn't it? Well, sometimes God does that. So what? We'll have a vigilant prayer life because we benefit from that. I wish we weren't those kind of people. I wish we were vigilant in our prayers when things are going wonderful. But we tend to drift away, don't we? I don't know why. I don't like suffering, but as my wife said beautifully, I don't always like the way God does things in my human understanding, but I can't really argue with the results. Would I be sitting here teaching this if I had not suffered the way I've been allowed to suffer? I don't know. But I know my suffering brought me closer into a relationship with God that nothing else had quite ever done, and it's been wonderful, and I feel more free than I've ever felt in my life under the authority of Christ. So a vigilant prayer life may come out of this. What's the next thing? Look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I love that. So it, it should make us, uh, you know, take care of each other more. Now look at 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. So it should make us more practical. should make us more likely to take care of each other. should make us more kind to strangers. Forgive each other. Why are we holding some grudge when we all may die, may die here soon? That, that's, that's what Peter is saying. Hey, we're suffering. Don't be, don't, don't be why are you so petty? I, I will tell you this. After going through the suffering that I went through, I honestly do not get bothered by petty, silly little things. Because you, you, you look at something and say, well, I can't believe I didn't get my order right at the drive-thru. In the grand scheme of things, why get upset with the people that gave me the food? What, did they on purpose try to punish me by giving me the wrong thing? Hey, we're all going to die soon. I don't know what soon means. That could be years. But he says, Peter says, have the mentality 
and the way you treat each other and the way you hold grudges and the way you, 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 you're hospitable to people, let it be like it may be the last time you ever see them. Because it might be. I mean, wouldn't you hate for the last time you saw a person, the last thing they remember about you is that you were a jerk? Can you imagine the last time that somebody saw you as you were able to be you know, hospitable to them and you were rude and didn't want anything to do with them and I... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to treat you well today. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to invite you in my home. I don't want to love you. You know, I'm just not moved for that today. Peter says, "Well, in the times of suffering, you need to have a whole new perspective on that, and you need to live your life much more practical, much more loving, much more forgiving, and uh, and you need to speak in a way." that is pleasing to the Lord and use the gifts that he's given you. How much longer is it going to be for you to use the gifts that God's given you for him, for others? It's not about you. And I know for the longest time, I mean, the gifts that God has given me, I had, I had them a lot longer then I, I mean, I, I had them a lot of time before I ever started using them. It's just like you see with everybody in the Bible. When he redeems people, all he does is give the, the, the correct version of you. You were already gifted with this gift set. You just were using them for the wrong things. I was, I was an all-star, you know, for Satan and confusion with my gifts. I used them against God. And then under redemption, I began to use them for God. And he says, maybe going through suffering and realizing that the end is near will finally be that uh, wake-up call for you to take the gifts that God's given you and start using them in the proper way. So these are all things that Peter says these times of uncertainty and suffering should bring us. Now let's go to um, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it says it should, it should make us more perceptive. It should sharpen our perception about the word of God. That's one thing he said. He says, uh, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Meaning, when you go through this time of suffering, now more than ever, it ought to give you a passion for the Word of God. Don't you want to be able to speak correctly the oracles of God? Hey, 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 guys, ladies, I know some of y'all are watching, listening, but I, I would say to you too, but hey, guys, so your family, during a time of suffering, whatever's coming for us, okay, they run to you, and they say husband, and they say daddy, if you have a family. What in the world is going on? Has God abandoned us? Can you speak the oracles of God? Are, are you ready to be able to say, well, family, I'll tell you what the word of God says about this. Peter says, in these times, you should be one who speaks the oracles of God. It says also, it says, we, 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 this is not a time to dilute the message. I think that's one of the things that, that really sickens me right now. At our time of, I think, people leaning in 
to listen to those who claim to be redeemed and under the authority of Christ. We're, we're leaning in. The whole world is saying, what's going on? Just tell us the truth, church. And in too many cases, not every case, praise the Lord for that, but in too many cases, they're hearing people who know the oracles of God trying to ignore the things that may not be popular, and they're diluting the message. I think now more than ever, people need to know that the wrath of God is going to come on the unredeemed. I think now more than ever, people need to know that sin matters, and there's one that went to the cross and paid the price for our sin, and you can be made whole. You can be redeemed. You can be made fully righteous, and you can be on the right side of a holy God that will bring judgment on an unholy world. i got to tell you, I think right now we need more than that than let's all do life together. Hashtag blessed. I think we need to hear more than that. And I think your family needs to hear more than that. Not to scare them, but really to assure them. To, to, to take this fearful attitude and remove it, it's almost like we don't need churches right now that are basically operating like they're spiritual social clubs, diluting the message. It's, hey, come on in here. It's going to be an inch deep. It's going to be a mile wide. We're all going to feel good about ourselves. We're all going to smile a lot. It's all going to be good. Well, in order for me to know that it's all going to be good, I have to first be told that if God is not who he is, it's all going to be real bad. Why do I care that Jesus went to the cross if I've never been told when he went to the cross before? Why do I care that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day? Uh, why? Why did all that have to happen? It didn't even seem like a big deal to me. That's why I'm not that worried about it. I thought no matter what I do, it's all going to be okay anyway. We all go into heaven. Now, the reason why I appreciate the cross uh, an awful lot is because I've been made very aware of who God is, and I fear him. I've been made very aware of who God is, and I love him. I've been made aware of who I was in the presence of a holy God, and I tremble at the thought of it. And when I hear that he's forgiven me compared to what I deserve, his wrath, I celebrate. I'm thrilled. But if I don't know that, is the gospel even a big deal to me? What else? The work of God serve as you, uh, as God has given you the ability and your strengths. This is also what, what uh, Peter says. Listen to that. He says, so the oracles of God, then whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. So he says, the, the, the gifts, as we said before, the way that God has enabled you to serve, your God-given ability, your God-given strengths, now's the time for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus and begin to serve other people as you have been gifted to serve. Look at three. What else? Uh, in, in, verse, um, in verse 11, he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So uh, some of the, uh, the perceptions that we need to be sharpened by is we need to know the word of God. We don't need to dilute the message. We need to do the work of God. We need to serve as God has given us the ability to serve based on the strength that he's given us. And you know what else we need to be sure we're doing right now? Worshiping God. 
He said, hey, let me tell you right now, when the world's falling apart and we've come to the end of all things, i tell you another thing we need to do. We better be giving glory to whom glory belongs. We better acknowledge dominion to who dominion belongs forever and ever, and that is God, and, and God has been glorified through Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Are you worshiping God right now? Do you, just, do you just want to be ushered into his presence? I can tell you through my time of suffering, when I worship God, it is just a whole different experience. There's an awe and an appreciation for him that just doesn't seem to come any other way. And because I've been ushered, like, like, like Job, who was, who, who was upright and blameless at the beginning of the book of Job, but as we said many times, when he went through the suffering, he became in such, in such an intimate, close relationship with Job. And Job admitted, he said, I knew God with my ears, but now my suffering, I see him so clearly. I've become so intimate in, my, in his presence. He's even given me his resume through my suffering. I now see everything about him. And when I acknowledge everything about him and how worthy of worship he is and how holy he is, I despise myself. And I repent. And ashes and dust. That's been my experience. When I, when I get to that point in those moments where I just, I can't breathe without God, those are the times that I can't believe I've ever sinned against him because of how wonderful he is and how wretched I am. And nothing gives you more clarity on that quite like suffering. You're either suffering now, you've been through suffering, or it's coming. Those are the only three categories that exist in this fallen world. Jesus in John 16, 33, I say this so that you'll have peace. In this world, you will face tribulation. Not you might, but you always keep that joy in your heart. Don't ever forget that in your time of trouble, I've overcome the world. Because of what Jesus Christ did, everything really is going to be all right. Job also said, even though he slayed me, I find my hope only in him. Next, Peter says something that is very unpopular today. He says that, uh, that we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We shouldn't be surprised at all. It's a guaranteed experience. Boy, that flies in the face of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Rick, it doesn't say it's a guaranteed experience. We're all not going to have to suffer. Well, have you read today's lesson in the Bible? You ready for uh, verse 12? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't act like this is some surprise. It's a guaranteed experience. If, if, you, if you look at the, the Greek word here, let me give you a little background here on what the, the church is going through when Peter is writing you see this term, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. If you look at this, um, the Greek word where they're getting fiery trial from, 
It actually means to be set on fire. Don't be surprised when they set you on fire. Now, why is Peter saying that? Is that, is that some figurative word? Well, sure, it can, it can be, but here, sadly, it's a little more literal. Nero really, really got himself in a bind uh, because he, uh, he wanted to have this wonderful uh, era of him being the emperor supreme. And so he, he tried this little deal where he went to burn the city down, and then he was going to rebuild it back in this glorious better than it was. Uh, but the people of Rome got really upset about the city being burned, and Nero did it so he could come back and build it the way he wanted it. Well, he didn't want to take the heat for that, no pun intended, uh, because uh, it was, he didn't get the response he thought. He thought they would run to him and say, oh, great, Nero, build us a new city. So he blamed the Christians for it. Well, the Christians did this. They set their, their, them and their Jesus, they set our city on fire, and they need to be punished for it. So he began to kill Christians in grotesque ways. One of them was he would take Christians, he, he would take wax, and they would put it over their bodies. They would smear them in wax and pitch, and then they'd light them like human tortures, torches and hang them to light the streets of where Nero's beautiful building still remained in the streets. Nero literally lit the streets with the burning bodies of Christians. That's why the Greek phrase here means to be set on fire. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Do not be surprised if you're set on fire. This will test you. Don't act like something strange is happening if this were to happen to you. Look at 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. Do you realize that he is saying in verse 13, verse 12 he says it's a guaranteed experience. In verse 13 he says, and it should be a gladdening experience. Rejoice when you suffer for Christ. Rejoice. Now, you're, if you remember back when Peter was a much younger man before he wrote this, if you go to Acts chapter 5, and we also did a study on the book of Acts, you can find that also at BurgessMinistries.com by look, going to listen or here on the, uh, the YouTube channel. I think the study of Acts may be on the YouTube channel. If not, it's on Burgess Ministries for sure. But remember that after the Holy Spirit, Peter's no longer afraid like he was before the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's our standard now because we're in the church age. So when the church age started, you know what one of the ways they started celebrating that they had become more like Jesus than ever before? Look at Acts chapter 5, and I could read you the whole story here, but they're getting beat, and they're getting hit with a cat of nine tails. Uh, they're, they're, they're beating them with an inch of their life uh, because um, of their devotion to Jesus. And then look at verse 41 in chapter 5. Now this is after they've been beaten. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They celebrated. Would you celebrate if they took a cat of nine tails and beat you within one? I mean, the only reason why they didn't beat them 40 times, you could hit somebody 39 times and they didn't consider it to be cruel and unusual. 
40 times was over the line, it means they would beat you to within an inch of your life. Would your first reaction with blood running down your back be, that was fantastic. Man, we are like Jesus. They beat Jesus, and now they're beating us. Now, these were the same men that when they went to beat Jesus, they ran and left him. But now they have the Holy Spirit, and they rejoice in it. And they were told, by the way, after this beating, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they just kept on talking about him. It also shows you that that's not a law that we follow. Uh, that's where that line is drawn. So he says, don't be surprised by suffering. It's a guaranteed experience. It should be a gladdening experience. Rejoice in it. And then let's see what he says next in 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It should be a glorifying experience. Oh, you consider it an honor if you've been insulted for the sake of, of Christ. Celebrate if they insult you for your devotion to Jesus. Celebrate if you're insulted for the name of Jesus. Something to be proud of. Now, if people don't like you because you're a jerk, that's not something to be proud of. But if people insult you because of your devotion to Jesus, now, you have to remember... In, in these times, that the word Christian uh, was, was a word that was, um, and we'll get to this more toward the end of this, uh, our lesson day, we're almost done. Christian was not something to be proud of, that name. It was not a name that was a compliment. Uh, they started calling the New Testament church Christians as an insult. And he says, look, if they insult you because we're trying to be Christ-like, now when Peter's writing this, it has still not become like it is now, a word of endearment. Uh, it was a word of insult. And so what they said is, instead of letting this insult you, because they were making fun of them, there's those Christ-like people. They, they're trying to be like this Christ, this Messiah. They're trying to be Jesus-like. What was an insult? They were making fun of them for their devotion to what they thought was total hogwash. He said, but don't let that be an insult to you. And of course, today, it, it isn't an insult. But when Peter is writing this, it still is. And then um, he says, if anyone suffers, uh, uh, then, then, then let it be a, a badge of honor if you're suffering for Jesus or insulted for Jesus. Look at 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Okay. So our suffering must be examined. He says, now be careful. Make sure there's not a reason for it. Like I said, don't, don't be suffering because of something you did. Now, if you're suffering because of, of what Christ has done, praise the Lord. But don't be suffering because you're a murderer. He's addressing this because there were some people in the church when Nero started killing everybody, they started trying to kill part of Nero's armies, uh, people who were on the inside, were loyal to Nero, some of their own that, that would go with Nero, to try to save themselves. Some of the uh, Christians, they were learning, would, thought they had a righteous past to kill these people. And, uh, and Peter said, no, no, no. Now, if, if the government comes down on you because you're murdering members of the government, that's different. Don't suffer because of that. We need to listen to that right now. He says, or, or look, don't suffer because you're a thief. There were also people that said they're starving us. 
They can't give us anything. We got to feed ourselves. We got to have some money. We got to have something. So they thought it was justified to go and steal from the government. Peter says, no. Don't, don't, don't. Now, if you're suffering because you're a murderer, you're suffering, suffering because you're a thief, that's not something to consider honorable. He goes on to say, or if you're an evildoer, this was usually a charge against Christians, um, you know, like they would say, they burned the city down. And you know what Peter said? Well, now, if you did burn it, if you did set something on fire, they're always accusing us of doing evil, and you consider it an honor if that's because of your devotion to Christ, but it's not an honor if they say you're an evildoer and you are. That's not an honor. So if, if you're doing these things they're accusing you of, then that's suffering you brought on yourself, and that's not of God. He also says a meddler. Don't, don't be a busybody if you're gossiping and you're getting involved in other people's affairs. And, and you know what a meddler is here? Some of y'all ain't going to like this. Some of you are not going to like this. This is also Peter talking about activism. Hey, look, if they're coming after you because you're out there doing some kind of protest or you know, you're involved in some of these groups that are trying to overthrow the government and you're, you're, you're involved in some of this meddling and the affairs and the politics of the day, if that's bringing suffering on you, that's not really honorable. You didn't really see Peter leaving, uh, leading some campaign against Nero. You didn't. You just saw him leading a campaign of devotion to Christ, period. And then if that brings you enemies, then that's fine. But, but let's, not, let's not be caught up in murdering, stealing, evil doing, and meddling. 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, and there's that word being used, and so he's using that, which was a derogatory statement when Peter's writing this, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the name. That goes back to what I told you a minute ago. He specifically says, if they're on you and calling you a Christian in a derogatory way, you just let that bring glory to God. Because in this time, it was not considered to be uh, anything to be proud of other than the Christians themselves. That word Christian appears for the first time in Acts 11.26. 26. Uh, Ryan, if you want to write that down, uh, Acts 11.26. 26. Ryan's always asking me to get him some notes. So Acts 11.26. 26. It always had contempt attached to it. It, it became a badge of honor because if you think about it, what they're talking about, you know, remember when we say Jesus Christ, I had a great Bible teacher tell me, don't say that like that's Jesus' last name. What you're saying is this is Jesus Messiah. This is the Messiah, Jesus Messiah. And so they were saying, oh, they think they're Messiah-like, and they, they were laughing at that. Uh, but, uh, but now, of course, it, it, it's a word that says that we are attached to Jesus. And in those days, it meant that, but it was derogatory and made fun of. And Paul says, don't let that, I mean, Peter says, don't let that be something that you have, you're shameful about. You wear the word Christian as a badge of honor, even though those around you don't intend it that way. You continue to bring glory to God. Then is there a special reason for it? Suffering. Verses 17 and 18. Is there a special reason for it? For the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here, 
He's saying, what if there's a reason for it? And he looks at the first, he says in, in verse 17, what if it's for judgment on the household of God? What if, what if God is bringing this suffering on the house of God to cleanse the church? That may be a form of suffering too. God will cleanse his church. He will not let sin remain in the open, the church. And I think this is nothing the Western church in general, praise God, there's exceptions. Church discipline is all but non-existent. We just let open sin go on inside the body of the church as if it's no big deal and as if we aren't told in 1 Corinthians 5 that we are to purge out the old leaven. If you've never read 1 Corinthians 5, I would encourage you to do this. Peter says, hey, some of the suffering, it'll start. He's going to judge his own house first, and if he finds sin in his own house, he may use suffering to purge that. And I'm going to tell you something. You look at COVID right now. A lot of people that are not returning to church, the church is better off that they don't. Now, I hope that they, if they turn themselves over to their sin and, and Satan hashes them out and he's allowed to refine them and sift them, that it'll save their lives, they'll repent, they'll become devout followers of Christ. But Paul is telling the church in Corinth, you can't let this old leaven, this, it, it's going to affect the whole body. So Peter says the same thing. Look at Acts chapter 5, 1 through 10. When you say, saw the story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they claimed that they were giving something to the church that they weren't giving, if you haven't read this, our, our study of Acts talks about this, and God killed them. I mean, they, were, they, they died because they claimed to have given something to the church that they really didn't give. They were trying to receive the glory like Barnabas got for his sacrificial gift, so they pretended to have a gift that was more sacrificial than it really was, and God killed them. Do you think church discipline on that day, do you think there was a fear and awe of God? Hey, did you see what happened to them? Did, did you see what happened to them? So, so God takes this very serious. And you know what it said when Ananias and Sapphira were killed on the spot by God for blaspheming the church? It said a great fear was over the church. I bet. Is there a great fear over the church right now? That if you're blaspheming his church, stealing from his church, you know, having uh, sexual impropriety in his church, uh, recognizing another form of marriage in his church that he calls blasphemy, you're not taking God's standard of marriage. You're not keeping it in a place of honor like he, like he is demanded by Scripture. Do, do you think, is there a fear of God over that? I don't see it on social media. I see Christians that go to church together celebrating all kinds of things on social media that are blaspheming as if it's no big deal. Love is love. Hope you'll hold this in a place of honor as it should be. According to Scripture, it shouldn't be held in a place of honor. Well, you know, he, you know, we, it's, it's okay, you know. Hey, we don't want to, we don't want to be ungracious. Yeah, but we we're, we're told that if there's open defiant sin in the church that goes unrepented of and is perpetual and deliberate, that 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 should be removed. Keep in mind that that the the church the church growth. Look at Acts five fourteen. When they did these things right, the church actually grew. And you know what you didn't find in the churches that removed open, deliberate sin within the church body? You know what you didn't find in those churches? Apostasy. You didn't. It was a healthy church. And it says they were constantly in awe of God. And when church discipline was handed down, that fear came over the church. Good. 
Suffering designed to warn the world, if God judges his own people, he will not hesitate to judge the wicked. So those of you that are not part of the church, if he's going to judge his church, he won't have any issue judging you. He judges his own. And he will certainly judge the wicked. As a matter of fact, you find out in Psalms chapter 5 that God hates the unrepentant. You hear all the time that God loves you right where you are. He doesn't, not according to Scripture. What he wants to do is he says, if you repent of your sin, let me remove you from where you are and let me bring you to me. I love and I forgive the repentant, but he will punish and he will destroy the unrepentant. He's holy. He can't help it. Uh, Peter is likely, in verse 18, we talked about this when, he, when you see this. This is really Peter using a paraphrase that he came up with. His, with his, uh, he kind of added to But if you'll read Proverbs eleven thirty one, and he kind of put his own spin on it, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? It's almost like Paul said, y'all know what Proverbs eleven thirty one said. Let me put it in my own words is really what that is there. So that's where that comes from, and that's the point we just made. Is there a spiritual reason for suffering? Verse 19, and we'll close with this. It may be just God's will. Is there a spiritual reason? Yeah, God's will. Verse 19 that ends our lesson today. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Why am I suffering right now? It might be God's will. For what? To refine me. To remove sin from my life. To make me holy. So while I'm suffering, I have to remember a creator who loved me so much that he went to the cross for me. He's on record for how much he loves me. But now I'm in suffering, and he's asking me a more important question. Do I love him? Because I can find no fault in him. So I continue to do good. Not to earn my salvation, but as a result of my salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message that you've given us. May we apply it to our lives and honestly, Lord, may we just stop all this foolishness as a church of acting so ridiculous when it comes to suffering, as if you've had nothing to say about it. If we think you've had nothing to say about it, it's because we've never taken the time to hear what you're trying to teach us, that you say clearly in your word. I pray that you be with us and that you refine us. And I pray right now, Lord, if someone wants to give their life to you, that they will just repent of their sins. I know you love the repentant, you forgive the repentant, and the sincerity of any heart that says that they repent of their sins, that they acknowledge with their mouth that you are Lord, they believe that you were raised from the dead on the third day, and they just say, Jesus, save me. I know you paid the price for my sin. I want that, Lord. And Lord, I'm prepared to, to be uh, redeemed, but while redeemed, I'm prepared to suffer, I'm prepared to be refined, I'm prepared to do whatever is required for me to work out my salvation and my sanctification uh, through, through many tribulations, with fear and with trembling. 
I'll deny myself, I'll pick up my cross, I'll follow you. All these things you said should be expected in the life of the follower of Jesus. But only you can empower us to do these things, Lord. So we attach ourselves to you and the power you provide to make us new people. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If you've prayed to the Lord today, maybe he spoke to you in any way, and I can help you with that and walk with you, then you reach out to me, uh, rick at rickandbubba.com. I thank you for taking time to be with us today, and may God go with you.